look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Faisal. Um, interesting week, my friend. Super interesting, and it feeds into a very interesting show. Yes. Right? Um, we'll talk about the, the week a little bit, but you know what? We're going to spend um, some of today's show talking about why surgeons don't do surgery on their own family members. <laughs> That's what okay. we're going to talk about. Well, not really. Well, not, kind not of. exactly. Kind of, though. What, what did, which I think what you're trying to get across is that, you know, managing your own money or money of, of family members who are close to you um, can, can be a problem. Um, we're not saying that you should not do it on your, by yourself, but there's some science behind this. It's called behavioral finance, and, and it's, it's all about how we react to things like volatility in the market, right. like our own money, um, what we benchmark or compare our portfolios too. Um, it's in a in a world where maximizing returns uh, is is where people are focused on. Some people are focused on. It's very difficult for them to take a step back and say, "What's the real reason why they're doing this?" And um, and, and then you can end up getting hurt really badly uh, when when you when you get caught up in this. Well, in the emotion, that's right. So we're going to have um, a New York Times best-selling author, psychologist, a behavioral finance expert, Dr. Daniel Crosby, walk us through some of the problems. Right? Why do we get ourselves uh, in into these kind of binds that we've heard about? Um, how do we emotionally respond to ups, downs in the markets, and so on and so forth? Really interesting. I think you you definitely want to stick around. This I want to mention that this is you know this show today we're going to talk about the biggest way people lose money in their portfolios. And I'm not talking about down. Right. I'm talking about loss, like permanent loss. Right. We have seen people step out of the strategy and lose money. And that can change their retirement. That right. can change their financial future. That can change their, their, their lifestyle. Those are big, big, big issues. And I think if people listen to this show, they're going to hear the number one way of losing money or not making enough for your retirement. And we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. And you know, we're also going to continue the conversation um, around context of the money, right? Yeah. Um, some really interesting research that uh, suggests that if we are clear on the goals we're trying to achieve, right? And I won't, no spoiler alert here, right? Or in, or in terms of giving it away, I won't steal the thunder, but I'm going to talk about ways that you can visually remind yourself about what I'm trying to accomplish and why. Because it, it's hard. You get lost. You forget. You have a long day, right? You come home. It's, you can get distracted easily off these things, Correct. right? So a discipline, an easy way to remind yourself about what this money's supposed to do for you. Correct. And then personal benchmarking, right? Yeah. We're going to continue to do education around this and personal benchmark so that people understand it's about, again, context. What's this money supposed to do? That's what I'm trying to earn a return for. Don't take many more or any less risk than you need to in order to achieve those results. <laughs> Let's 
kind of touch quickly what happened this week in the markets yeah. and and where this is all leading to today's show. Right. I think when we talk about one of the biggest risks that we were mentioning uh, for 2018 was global trade war. Yep. Uh, our friends down south, the administration and Donald Trump decided to uh, uh, talk about potential trade issues with China. Mm. Uh, well, now you're dealing with the second largest economy in the world. Um, that scared the market. I believe that was on Thursday. Uh, we saw four 500-point drops in the Dow Jones again. Well, lots of travel, like up and down and up and yeah. down. And Currency just, yeah. went up in Canada versus the U.S. dollar because NAFTA looks better. There's all these different things that are happening, and it's causing concern because if you look at the year-to-date numbers of the markets, people are saying, am I going to make enough this year or did I miss out? Is it, everything going to collapse? These these are fears that are coming out now yeah. in conversation. And some are, are still looking back at the previous one, two, three years and saying, I still want those returns, even though the, today's a little bit of a different view than it was last year or the year before. Yeah, you know, it's um, yeah, it's interesting. I think that the uh, the conversation around multiple trade fights is really is concerning the market. Yes, the Chinese, a big economy, don't get me wrong. What's the retaliation going to be if there's going to be any, uh, for sure. But you've got the Trump administration, uh, whether it's negotiating or, you know, these are the initial salvos of a global trade war remains to be seen. But i got to tell you, the market has responded to it. They're looking at, they're building in geopolitical risk. I did some research this week, Faisal, around what's the, you know, what's the impact if we get into a global trade war? And I looked at some Bloomberg research that came out. And they say it could, uh, by 2020, this could take off $470 billion of, um, of global GDP. $470 billion. That's in the context, the best numbers I could get, uh, most accurate, was 2014 census data of about $107 trillion global market. Right? So we're talking about a half a percent, wiping out a half a percent of potential uh, business worldwide, right, and a trend and a slowing trend. Explain what that half a percent is in in, act, in in magnitude, because when you say the word half a percent, it doesn't sound like a lot. Well, think in terms of global GDP growth, right? Depending on what number you want to pick, let's for easy math say on average we're th between three and three and a half percent. Take a half a percent away from that on percentage terms. These are big numbers. These are ten, twelve, fifteen percent slowdowns. Right? Correct. Um, and it's a good point. Put it in context because. That can, um, that's what the market's reacting to, right? There's real concern that, that we could see global, if global trade uh, narrows and we move to protectionism, that the overall impact will slow global growth. Correct. And, and what, what hurts us is where we're situated here in Alberta and the impacts of global trade war, um, how it slows down what we are. We're an export-based uh, economy, yeah, yeah. And, and it's going to slow us down. It's going to make... Um, Potentially, Alberta worse than it is, and it's not because of any government here in Canada. It's just it is the environment. Sometimes you get a snowfall, even though you're you're in a warm area, and, right. and it happens. And so, you know, we've had a tough go here in Alberta. You still look in Calgary downtown, and you still see those vacancies, and you still see home prices not taken off. And it doesn't feel like we're moving forward to all that uh, intense purposes, but it's it's going to be a a bit of a concern, I think. Um, it does hit home in this case uh, here in Calgary and, and, and in Alberta. You know what I found interesting? Uh, just stick on this, this global trade for just a minute, and then we can talk maybe about the Fed a little bit, U.S. Fed. But uh, I was reporting on Amazon um, sales numbers and cross-border sales for Amazon, Yep. right? Um, so an acceleration in the most recent quarter of, of sales across the entire platform was about 31%. Mm -hmm. Cross-border transactions increased by 50%. So more and more companies are selling cross-border. That doesn't just mean U.S. to Canada. 
It could mean Canada, the U.S., Canada, Europe, whatever the case may be, through their marketplace, through their, yeah. their platform, yeah. right? The, so the biggest opportunity that Amazon has, the biggest online retailer in the world, is cross-border transactions. Even Alibaba, same right. thing, because they're out in Asia, and they're right. showing, and even in parts of Africa. Africa-China right. trade is going crazy. Right. Crazy. American business is going crazy, too, right? We saw lots of examples of letters being sent to the White House expressing concern about global trade wars. It's, it's going to impact if this gets, I believe, this is my view only, uh, that there's going to be a lot more bark than there is bite. Yeah. I think this is part of the... Uh, the negotiation right. st strategy of the Trump administration. And again, they're not the only ones feeling this Correct. way. There are many, many countries around the world that feel the exact same way. So we have to be prepared and understand that this could be a lot more noise than news. And it might have a lot of volatility. But again, the your your emotional reaction to your money based upon what you read or hear or see uh, may have a, a negative impact. Yeah. And we'll just maybe very quickly touch on the Fed. I know we're running out of time for this segment, but the uh, the quarter the U.S. Fed did increase rates uh, by a quarter point. That was uh, widely expected and 100% priced into the market. Not the issue. Uh, maybe a little bit more hawkish in terms of language. Uh, so that came out on Wednesday. We did see market trading uh, positive ahead of the news, and we've ended in negative territory on on Wednesday, Faisal. And I think that's in response to um, you know a, a potential further increased, moved from two to three potential rate increases in 2019. So think about this issue, and really quickly, we've got less than a minute. If interest rates rise in the U.S., global slowdown because of, let's use global trade because that's the topic du jour, you could have what's called an inverted yield curve where long-term rates start to fall because people are scared, so they're buying bonds. Interest rates today go up. An inverted yield curve is a primary um, well, indicator, one, of the, one, one of, the, of the indicators yeah. of a potential recession. Right. And so this is a concern. I've said time and time again publicly, we have a one in five or 20 percent probability of a global recession. Right. This is not recession free zone here. Right. And so this is one issue. And it's not 2018. I think it's 2019. Yeah. OK. Uh, a bold prediction, uh, and we'll continue to watch as that plays out and keep you guys informed. Now, we've got a seminar coming up here, uh, my friend. We should remind everybody about that. Yeah, how do you put all this together and still profit and protect to bulletproof your retirement? We'll discuss that on Tuesday, April 24th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400, 966-8400, or go to our website at morethemoneyradio.com. Stick around after the break, and we'll talk about the number one reason how you could lose money after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with David Faisal on uh, 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you know, we talk a lot about volatility in markets and yeah, a little bit the noise that goes on. And, <laughs> and listen, it can be scary, right? We know this. It can be really scary, particularly for people um, who are moving into retirement or living off of their assets, the sensitivity to the swings that they see in their portfolio can on be really both bad. Sides, on both sides. You recall there were listeners of this show that called us up mm -hmm. when the, the Dow Jones was hitting all-time records mm -hmm. and the S&P in the United States was hitting all-time records. And uh, they were calling us saying, are you all in the U.S.? Because that's the best place to be. And then the opposite side of that is when they, when they hear a trade war or 400-point drop in the yeah. Dow Jones or whatever – uh, they uh, they get concerned right. about the downside. Are you are you staying out of the U.S. now? So they're they're relying on I'll, I'll call it market timing because they're 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 the volatility up or down 
really affects them. Yeah, and I don't even think it's a it's a market timing call for them most of the time, Fizzle. It's more just an emotional response. Like when you get scared, right, it forces people into making bad decisions. And so we want to talk about the psychology behind that because I think uh, the more education we can do around that for people, the better armored they are against falling victim to one of those bad emotional decisions. We've got Daniel Crosby joining us today. He's a psychologist and a behavioral finance expert. Uh, he's also a New York Times bestselling author on market psychology. So no, nobody better to help us understand a little bit about the impacts of this uh, than him. So, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Great to be here. All right. So let's let's talk about this. We, you know, we, we haven't had a lot of volatility in the last two years. We start this year. Uh, late January, it starts to spike up, and now we got all kinds of volatility because of, you know, all of the macroeconomic noise we hear. When it comes to investing, particularly for the, you know, the risk adverse investor, walk us through a little bit about some of the uh, the mental traps that someone might experience. How uh, well there's there's all kind of things. There's actually 177 different documented sort of behavioral biases that investors fall into, <laughs> and so some of my work has been around taking those 177 uh, because it's not very useful for you to say to your clients, look, there's there's 200 ways that you can get this wrong, uh, to to really drill down and see what are the handful of psychological tendencies that underlie these. And there, there are four or five, you know, I'll start with one. One of them is this tendency we have towards ego. Um, on average, we as a human species are overconfident. Uh, this is especially true of men. You know, in my, in my latest book, I, I cite research that, that showed one study found that 94% of men uh, thought they were better looking than average. 100% of men thought they were friendlier than average. Uh, we're just prone to think we're we're better than we are at these things, and the market <laughs> is no exception. Right. And that can lead us to take some outside risks or uh, not work with someone who can help us or do any number of, of silly things. All right. So, yeah, 177. I'm not sure we have time to do justice to all of those, but it is, it, it is interesting. I, I am curious if you can speak to whether or not there's any differences between men and women in this respect from a behavioral perspective. Yeah, there, there are large differences, and none of them look good for, for the men. So women, both in retail, uh, you know, sort of mom-and-pop uh, women, as well as hedge fund managers and uh, professional women, outperform men at every turn. Uh, single, uh, single women outperform single men by about 2.5% a year. Um, the, best, the best investors of all, on average, are married women. Uh, but even uh, single folks tend to do worse than married folks, but married women beat uh, married men, and women across the board show better behavior. Uh, they're more patient. They trade less. They weigh probabilities more effectively. Uh, so it's a shame that they're underrepresented in, in professional circles, but women are better than men almost across the board uh, by virtue of being less arrogant and more patient. <laughs> That's interesting because anecdotally we can talk about some of our clients and when we have couples, especially when they manage money separately. Right. So he has his own accounts managing his money his way with us, mm -hmm. and then we have his wife managing her money with us separately, mm -hmm. and the disciplines, the conversations, the approach they take to the money – what they what they value behind that money what's the the reason why they're investing it is completely different and you do have different conversations with them and we find at least anecdotally with our clients there's some that are that are more um 
more active. Ego kicks in yeah. or greed kicks in, fear kicks in yeah. a lot faster on the on the uh, the men's side than it does on the on the women's side with our clients. Yeah. Now, in your in your bestseller, the personal benchmark. I like the idea of the personal benchmark, by the way. But it's called personal benchmark integrating behavioral finance and investment management. Can you give us that maybe at, at a high level frame this for us a bit, Daniel, in terms of some of the um, I don't know, the framework or the rules, I'm not sure if those are the best words, but the framework of the rules that you would highlight at a high level if somebody wants to integrate both, you know, their the psychology of investing but also, you know, good investment management that would meet their needs. Well, you you set me up there nicely for it when you were talking about how women tend to take a more values-based, goals-based approach. Uh, personal benchmarking is all about uh, ensuring that you have the right goals and the right expectations to live the life that you want to live and not benchmarking to an external index like the S&P or the Dow that you mentioned uh, earlier in the program, mm-hmm. but really understanding, sitting down with your advisor, understanding the returns that you need to give to, to live the specific life that you want to lead and not taking any more or any less risk than is necessary to live that life. And so that makes sense, but, you know, uh, that makes sense intuitively. Everyone's probably nodding their head to that pretty, you know, sensible statement, but it's not something we do. And the fact that we have, you know, the S&P and the Dow and all these updates on our phone and we maybe don't have our personal goals so ready at hand means that they can get crowded out. But my my very favorite study from Personal Benchmark uh, talked about a group of low-income savers who were barely scraping by Uh, having a hard time setting aside money for a rainy day. And when the researchers, they tried carrots and sticks, rewards and punishments, nothing worked until they finally, uh, before these folks made a decision, they had to look at a picture of their children for five seconds before they could, uh, you know, make a spending decision or a saving decision. And when they looked at this picture of their children before making a big financial decision, their savings rates ticked up 250%. So that's what personal benchmarking and goals-based investing is all about to me, just keeping the things that matter so deeply to you uh, top of mind and having them inform all of your financial decisions. You know, Daniel, I totally understand and agree with you. Every time I come to work, I got to deal with Dave Popovich. <laughs> I have to look at the pictures of my kids and say, why do I got to deal with Dave? And that's exactly why I come in the office every day. It's my kids. It's not Dave Popovich. So I totally get that. I totally get that. For the kids. Do it for the <laughs> exactly. kids. Exactly. Like I like that, that visual perspective. I think that's a, a very uh, key piece. So why is it that some people, when even, though, even though they know um, what kind of rate of return or savings goal or any type of objective like that? Why is it that people try to um, still want more or try using different benchmarks? Um, it's funny because some some people that we've talked to have changed their benchmark year over year based upon which is the best performing benchmark of that year. Why didn't we do last year? You know, yeah. like why didn't we do that kind of return on that one benchmark in our entire portfolio? And they 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 steer away from the well. You only need X percent, but you want more than X because the benchmark said so. What's What's the feeling that's going on there? And maybe you can help us understand why does the individual investor feel that way or act in that certain way? Well, you're exactly right. You know, when you look at the U.S. that's done so well over the past few years, now suddenly no one wants to benchmark their life uh, to a diversified multi-asset class portfolio where they should truly be. They want to benchmark to, you know, just the U.S. Well, no sensible investor has 100% 
uh, of their portfolio in, in U.S. equities. And so, yeah, that's a that's a trap that we fall into is having this this moving goalpost. And, you know, there's such a huge gap between knowing what to do and then doing it mm-hmm. uh, because volatility makes all of us stupid. I you know, I talk in the laws of wealth, my, my new book about uh, research that was done that shows that the average investor loses 13% of their IQ during periods of market volatility. And, you know, frankly, some folks don't have an extra 13% they're working with. And so, <laughs> and so when they're, you know, even if they know, even if you've taught them all the right lessons, uh, they're sort of out the door when you need them most, which is why I think it's so crucial uh, that in addition to the education that, that, you know, I do and that folks like you do, they also need someone to hold their hand in that moment of fear, walk them back and, and sort of intervene and say, look, you, you can't do this. You're going to you're going to hurt yourself mm-hmm. because, of course, we want we want all the wrong things at the wrong time. Right. We want uh, when when the U.S. market has run up seven years, eight years in a row. Now we get excited about the U.S. when it's expensive and unattractive. So we are we are wired to be horrible investors. I mean, I say uh, I say that God or nature couldn't have created a worse investor than you or I, uh, which is why we need someone to, you know, sort of hold our hands and walk us through it. Okay, let's take a bit of a break there. You're going to join us. Uh, to stick around. You'll join us after the break. But, uh, Faisal, before we take a break, we're going to talk about these the structure, right, uh, and properly protecting yourself against yourself so that you can enjoy the lifestyle you've envisioned in retirement. Yeah, we call that the five-pillar investment strategy approach that's designed to help you profit and protect in these types of markets. We'll discuss that on Tuesday, April 24th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op One Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. And stick around after the break because we're going to continue the conversation with Daniel. He's going to talk about some of the strategies to help you become a better investor and hit your personal benchmarks. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. All right, welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on Newstalk 770 and uh, More Than Money. We're talking psychology, my friend. And we've got uh, Daniel Crosby with us. He's a psychologist. He's also a behavioral finance expert and New York Times best-selling author on market psychology. And you and I both know from personal history that um, psychology, behavioral finance, has such a big role to play with how people react, both positively and negatively, to what's happening. Correct. And, and I think we've learned very early in our careers, in fact, even before our career started, that we were not wired to be good investors ourselves. Right. And so we had to adopt some sort of discipline. Right. Um, and when we, we adopt the discipline and we stick to it, over time it reaches our clients' goals. Sure. And so the, the hard part is even when we start seeing the markets rally or we see the markets fall, we have an emotional reaction, you and I. Yep. We sit down, we discuss, debate, throw things at each other, stuff like that that happens in our in our investment war room, I'll call, call it. So yep. the the interesting part behind that is that when we step aside and we take a break from our our emotional reaction, we go, let's go back to the math. Let's go back to what's what's right for our clients. It's it's interesting to see how we go through that. Can you imagine a person who's not in, responsible for other people's money, what they go through, and they're responsible for themselves while dealing with their goals, their family issues, whatever else may come up. It's it's You're juggling so many things, and, and sometimes you focus just on the money, and you think that's going to solve the other problems. And we've had many individuals come to us and have – concerns about whatever's going on in their life 
but they're really focusing on the portfolio until we dig in right. and they go, this is what's going on in my life, my children, my spouse, whatever's happening in their world. And then they come back and go, well, I'm just trying to focus my attention on the money because those problems are, I think if I have more money, it will solve those problems. And it, <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. So, so Daniel, I'll bring you back in here. And my question to you is, should the surgeon be doing emergency surgery on a family member? Because that's what we're talking about when, you're get, when you get trapped in these emotional uh, decisions around your money. Yeah, emotion is uh, one of the uh, most powerful ways you can get messed up. And, you know, emotion is such a, a powerful thing. It's a, it's a mental shortcut for us. And, in, uh, you know, if you're running from a tiger, emotion is a very powerfully positive thing that will activate you to do the right thing. Uh, if you're trying to make investment decisions, you'll do just the wrong thing. So chapter four of my new book says uh, the name of the chapter is if you're excited, it's a bad idea. So <laughs> I'm a believer that, you know, that that good investing is boring investing. Uh, and, you know, you need a professional in your corner uh, to help you, uh, you know, help you make sure you're not making exciting investments that are poor decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's let's talk about some strategies yep. that we can help these listeners to become better investors. Give us some strategies that we can use today uh, to become better investors. Okay, so the first thing, you know, I go through 10 commandments, right, in my book. The first of them is just for your listeners to understand that they are what matters most. The best predictor of whether or not they get to their retirement goals uh, is not what you know world leaders do. It's not what the market does. The research shows that you are the best predictor of your success or your failure. And it's boring. It's boring stuff. The blocking and tackling of investing, mm -hmm. setting aside a little money each uh, each month, you know, managing your fees, these sorts of things. So taking ownership of that, I think, is the first and most powerful thing that someone can do. The second thing that I think they need to do. Uh, is understand that you can't do this alone. You need a professional in your corner because there's such a huge gap between knowing what you ought to do and, and doing the right thing in that moment of fear or greed. So I cite research in the book, actually research out of Canada, uh, that shows that people who work with advisors uh, are, are twice as happy, they're three times as prepared, and they tend to do three to 4% better per year net of fees and you know the impact of three and a half four percent over a lifetime of investing is it will double your terminal wealth and so all of the research shows the reason these people are outperforming is not because frankly uh their uh, advisors are putting them in the hottest mutual funds or right. anything that's outperforming it's because they're saving them from themselves they're keeping them from being their own worst enemy and that is the most dramatically positive uh, thing that an investment professional can help you do. And that's little understood, I think, by the average client who thinks that they've hired sort of a, a local Warren Buffett who's going to put them in, in high-flying stocks. So what are your thoughts when it comes to those um, do-it-yourself investors? I'm going to use robo-advisors because there's really no emotion when you have a robo-advisor working with you. Um, there's no conversation per se mm -hmm. on, on calming people down because you know people who are, and I'll, I'll use the best example, exchange-traded funds or ETFs. When the markets are volatile like they've been since February, you see massive outflows of ETFs. And the, the, the reason why ETFs, or one of the reasons why they had ETFs put in was you can buy the market at lower fees. So over the long term, you'll make more money versus an actively managed who can't um, perform equal to or better than the market. 
but we're seeing people have take money out of the ETFs, and that that that's a reaction mm-hmm. to a long term approach. So so what what's the um what what's the what's your feeling towards those types of investment approaches, do it yourself or discount brokerages and and robo advisors? Because there's many Canadians who are going to be uh, are in or going to be looking at that as an option for their financial future. What are your thoughts behind those? So there there are things um, there are things that robo advisors do extremely well, and there are things uh, about which I think they're entirely unproven. So the thing that uh, robo advisors do well is they can come up with a nice, low-cost, well-diversified asset allocation for you. They can do that as well uh, as, as any advisor on the planet. Now, what they are unproven at, because most of them are only five, six, seven years old, and it's been an extremely uh, heady, bullish time to be an investor, what remains to be seen is if people continue to make good decisions when times get tough, when there's a 30 40 50% drawdown in equity markets, uh, will those robo-advisors be able to hold the hand and constrain the bad behavior of those investors? I think that that is uh, questionable. Uh, it remains to be seen. But I think the, the efficacy of robo-advice lives and dies uh, on their ability to do that because, once again, it's that and not market returns that drive this great performance over long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So to the extent that people can override uh, that robo or do it themselves, they will tend to make all the wrong moves at the wrong times. So I'm, I'm an investment advisor myself here in the States. I've written you know three books on behavioral finance. I have a PhD, and I pay a financial advisor to manage my money because I know I'm as stupid as the next person when it comes right down to it. Uh, and when things get scary, yeah, it's the surgeon doing emergency surgery on their family, right? It is uh, it is a behavioral issue, not a necessarily a mathematical issue. I think that's I think that's really interesting. Um, I, I contend, you know, we've often heard that the market is driven by fear and greed. I think it's only by fear. It's the fear of missing out, or it's the fear of losing money. But um, so be it. Call it what you want. Maybe just talk to us briefly about that before uh, before we have to wrap up this segment. Sort of those two. Uh, overriding general principles and um, and how do people give me some idea of how somebody might catch themselves those guys who think they're better than what they are how do they catch themselves in that thought process and say oh I better take a deep breath here well you know it's interesting one of the the best things that I think you can do is keep a trade journal like if you if you are intent on trying this yourself and you want to see if you're really uh, as as hot as you think you are uh, is to keep a trade journal. I had a friend uh, call me recently who is not in the industry, who's not a professional investor, and said, wow, I've, I've gotten these incredible returns yeah. uh, picking stocks in my own account over the past five or six years, and I'm thinking that I may want to get into the business. And I said, wow, you know, I'm, I'm happy for you. Let me, let me see your track record a bit. And it was, you know, worse, worse than a buy-and-hold index investor, um, but we don't remember these things accurately, right? We don't, mm-hmm. we, we attribute more greatness to ourselves than is likely do. We don't, uh, we, we don't attribute that to just a rising market lifts all boats. And then simultaneously when things go bad, we do blame it on externalities. So the, the human tendency is when things are going well, I did that. When things are going poorly, I blame someone else. And so those those two reflexes uh, are, are pretty damaging when it comes to trying to be a money manager. So I think, uh, you know, if you're intent on doing this and you think you're great, 
uh, keep a trade journal and know uh, know in financial markets that you can get the right results uh, for the wrong reason. Yeah. That's a very tricky thing about markets uh, is that you can r- be right and still be a moron, as I say. And so you have to do this for you know for for long periods of time to know if it's due to your skill and not to luck. Daniel, we have to leave it there. I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Daniel Crosby is a psychologist, a behavioral finance expert, also a New York Times best-selling author, and I think, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of validity to what he's saying, right? And we talk about it maybe in slightly different language. We talk about the context of the money. I think we have to start educating people, Faisal, about going down that path, particularly in retirement, about attaching a context to what the money's supposed to do, right? That was the picture of looking at your kids. We've got to look at a picture of what it is this money's supposed to do. What's your vision? And build yeah. a strategy to that outcome, right? And not worry so much about what the best performing equity index is because you get trapped on the wrong side of that and we know what the uh, the outcome is there correct yeah i think there's got there's an opportunity to to learn from this and we should re- you know we'll, we'll wrap that up on the next in the next segment as well yeah so let's uh let's talk about our upcoming seminar here uh and invite people up because we're going to talk about that structure the context of the money and how to position a strategy to meet those long-term objectives. Correct. There is a mathematical formula to get you to retirement and through retirement, because I think a lot of people are good at getting them to the retirement spot, but who gets them through the retirement zone? That's what we're going to talk about on Tuesday, April 24th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, we're talking about contact. Stick around after the break because we're going to talk about what those retirement investments can actually do for you. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. So we got to wrap this show up uh, and sort of tie it together for people. And uh, what I'm hoping people will take away Uh, is that there are some built-in misses that we have in our brain. We're hardwired to make some mistakes. Yeah. We've seen it. Lots of research would indicate it, right? People can continue to deny it, but it's there. And that's the reason for a discipline, right? There's a reason that professionals in the business put in place a discipline, right? It's to avoid, minimize the impact of of those Built-in misses that errors, we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's 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 unforced errors, right? That's what this is all about. In right. behavioral finance, portfolio management, structuring of a portfolio, we call it the five pillar investment approach. Failure to do that are unforced errors, right? And I think what what Daniel said was, you know, you could be right, even though you're wrong, right? Yeah, you right? could get a positive result for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and and and. I've had these kind of conversations with people where they say, look, if we just did this or look what I did in my own little portfolio. And if we just did that, we would have been we would have been better off in a short period of time. And I'll say anything less than 10 years is a short period of time. If you don't have 10 years of data, Uh you got to look at the context of where you're going into. Right. Right. I can I you know, and when I start saying that a a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah. 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 It's still right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But it's functionally wrong. And that's what I think we need to understand is, is the entire process, approach, um, and what you're benchmarking mm-hmm. on, is that the right system that you're in? I like, I like your analogy of unforced errors. I mean, the fact of the matter is, in the world of finance, um, there's lots of things that change every day that you can't predict, 
Right. We can make some educated guesses and put a strategy in place, but you just you don't know until things happen. So that's a reality of what we deal with, right? But it's the unforced error, those those biases, those mis- behavioral mistakes that we put in place that really diminish returns over time. And I'll, and I'll say the unforced errors increase in probability mm-hmm. when the when the visual of or the vision of your retirement mm-hmm. is not accurate. Mm-hmm. So if individuals or couples do not know what their retirement looks like, what the costs are, what they want to do, how they're going to fill their time, then they go back to the portfolio and say, I need to maximize return regardless of what goes on in this world. And that way I can do whatever I want because I have no idea what I want to do. We have have some clients who cannot articulate what they want to do in retirement. They may say the word travel, and it doesn't really mean just travel it yep. means expensive travel and then there could mean something different to each of them to each of them yep. and because they cannot get break down what their their real goals and needs are and we can't financially calculate it you're using a mathematical equation for a qualitative viewpoint mm-hmm. not a quantitative p- viewpoint and right. i think the the foggier the vision is the harder it is to to prevent unforced errors. Yeah, that's a good point. The other thing, I'm going to go down this unforced error again too in a discipline because it speaks to the notion of specialization, right? So if you think about, we talk about this in our seminars a lot, but you talk about the differences in needs and requirements of people as they move through different stages of life, right? When you get out of school and you have nothing but school debt, right? And you start your first job, well, you're probably focused on, you know, paying the rent and and paying down some debt. And then you're going to move forward, and you're going to have a house and a mortgage, and then you're going to have kids. You're so logical, because that's not what I thought when I had debt and I finished school. Well, no, I you're know. So, but you're such a good, you're so, I, I'm such glad a financial I got, advisor I, I, I'm you I'm glad are. I got a chance to straighten you out, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't think most people finishing ago, university <laughs> have debt and think about how am I going to pay down this debt right away. They're like, well, yeah, yeah, it's debt, and I'll deal with it, right? Yeah, my dad just would smack me in the back of the head regularly. It was hard to forget about paying off my student <laughs> debt. But the point is, right, we're moving through these different stages, and then we Correct. we end up at this stage where we call retirement. And Which ru- is the most complex time in your life? I was just going to say, the rules of investing fundamentally change here. It is so important that you need a specialist or a person who specializes in this segment of your life because it's the most complex. Yeah. It is not like when you were accumulating wealth, when you were finished school or you, you started your family. You're just earning income. Right. So you deal with the earning of income. Now you're dealing with, I want my lifestyle but I don't have an earned income. I don't have that replacing. Right. At some point, you may say, how the heck do I do all this? Right. Because and, there's a lot of moving parts. Now. And there's so many competing objectives. Think right. about what somebody goes through retirement from, I need to have my enjoyment. I need to make sure my day-to-day needs are met. I need to make sure that I don't pay too much in taxes so I have more money in my right. pocket. I need to make sure that my health care in the future, because I know... That's going to change. Uh, my life is going to change over the next 30 years, and I need to make sure that's covered. And I want to make sure I leave a legacy behind. Those types of goals and objectives cannot take an average person or an average advisor to work on that. You do need a specialist. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the point. There's lots of analogies we can use here, but it is a, it is a very specific time in your life, and you need to be working with somebody who has an understanding of that, right? And um, don't. This is this is one of those areas where we can't get it wrong because we can't recover, right? There's no paychecks coming anymore. So don't accept the I do it too. That, that's not 
uh, that's not an acceptable. When you place say to that be. I do it too or we do it too, what do you what do you mean by that? Well, I, I think I, people I, are confused. Maybe confused about that. Sorry, yeah, maybe half that conversation is with my head for sure. But you know, <laughs> we talk we talk about we talk about an industry uh, that tries to service a very broad based um, um, set of needs for people at different stages of life. I think having specialized, and this is my bias clearly, but we having specialized in this area for a very long time, understand the complexity of it, and I don't understand um, having a team of eight people that are specialized in doing this 10 hours a day, how you can have a really broad-based practice. So, so I think you have to get away from the generalist idea. My belief is that ge the generalist um, is appropriate for getting you to retirement, but the, uh, the complexity of cash flow, taxation, strategy around that, uh, discipline, investment strategy, discipline, all is very different in retirement than it is when you were 40, when you were 30, and when you were 25, right? So what I'm trying to say when I say don't accept we do it too is I think that's like going to your, your doctor, your family, family doctor, doctor. Yep. and the family doctor says, oh, yeah, I do heart, heart surgery too. I'm not sure that anybody would be signing up. And for you'll that never thing. hear a doctor do that. Right. The, the, you won't. The, the profession won't. does not yeah. allow that in their in our industry. Unfortunately, they can deal with anybody in any situation at any time. It doesn't matter. Right. In, in the medical profession, I have never heard a doctor ever say, I can do heart surgery too, and I'll, I'm a family practitioner. Right. They specialize, and there's a reason for that. Unfortunately, my industry doesn't have that, so we need to be aware of that, and, and you need to ask for that. I think now it goes back so to too. buyer beware. Yeah. It goes to investor beware. This is about education, right? We're trying to provide Correct. education. Ask some of the difficult Correct. questions, right? Okay, we talked about a lot of that. We're going to continue talking about that, but we do have a seminar uh, coming up that I'd like to invite everybody out to because we will be talking about how things look different. This is an educational seminar designed to arm you with the information that you need to know as you're approaching or living in retirement. Absolutely. On Tuesday, April 24th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seat, so give us a call, 966-8400, 966-8400, or log on to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. We had, uh, you know, we've started this year, Faisal, with full houses and very interesting questions about structure and time of life, right? Not just about stocks and bonds, but about time of life and context, and I love that. I look forward to advancing that conversation. Okay, we're going to have to sign off here, but before we do, I want to remind you that you can search up any of our past segments on morethanmoneyradio.com or have them delivered directly to you by searching for More Than Money CHQR on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.